What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, the majority of today's episode is actually a conversation with me and JB, Knicks Film School himself, uh, that we recorded a little bit earlier on Sunday. Uh, about, I don't know, I think we recorded it this Sunday morning. So before the Knicks debacle against the Cavs tonight, their third debacle in four games. And, um, Third in four home games, as well. Um, strangely enough, though, as you'll as you'll soon hear, uh, I don't think what happened in tonight's game alters really anything in terms of what uh, the content of our conversation was. So, and I think you'll you'll see why pretty soon. Um, oddly enough, even coming off of the um, very impressive win against Dallas. Um, we were still, it was still, I don't want to say a sobering conversation between me and JB, but it was definitely a, um, very real, very honest conversation between me and JB. Um, that said, uh, the Knicks did indeed get, um, get their asses kicked tonight, um, at home against a Cleveland team that is a spunky young team and they're, you know, they're playing hard on defense and, they're passing the ball, and they have some guards um, who could do some things. You know, they have a semblance of a team there. Um, in no way, shape, or form should they be ever up by 30 points against uh, any team on that team's home floor. But indeed, they were against the Knicks tonight. And, you know, it's the same thing pretty much that happened against Sacramento at home. It's kind of the same thing that happened um, against Detroit. Um, kind of happened in their first home game against Boston. It happened for the first two and a half quarters against the against the Bulls. You know, it's happened now, you know, for, for a while there, the first, I guess, seven games, six games, seven games, we were saying, oh, you know, the Knicks only have one win, but they've been in all these games. Well, now it's they're two and eight, and all of a sudden, other than the, the Dallas game, which was fantastic, they haven't been in any of these games. And it's it's interesting to to just try to think about because ultimately, and me and JB talk about this, ultimately it's all about finding the proper solutions. And in order to find the proper solutions to the problem, you have to identify what the problem is. And the issue with the Knicks has all for as you know, nearly 20 years has been, it's not an obvious 
It's not one obvious problem that stands out because you're like, well, it's the coaching or, well, they don't have the right players or, well, it's not, a, you know, the front office that put together the players is not, you know, what they did not do a good enough job. Um, and after a game like tonight, again, you have to ask yourself all of the same questions. Is it the fact that they tried to, you know, get leaders on this team in the form of like certain personality types or certain player types? And those guys have not provided any type of leadership at all, even though, I mean, like Marcus Morris seems like a really good leader. Um, but like, clearly the team isn't fully taking its cues from him. Like Taj Gibson's a good leader. They seem like they have a couple other guys who are real good vet, you know, presences. Like that's the one thing you heard from people this summer is like the Knicks got some really good professional veteran guys. And like what that implies is that even if they're not going to be good, they wouldn't have nights like this. And Steve Mills and Scott Perry are addressing the team right now after the game. Okay, so <laughs> the magic of podcasting. Um, I just listened to. <laughs> can't write. You really can't write this shit. Um, just listened to Scott Perry and Steve Mills come out. Um, I misspoke. Obviously, they were not addressing the team; they were addressing the media. Um, and basically, came out and said that they uh, would like to see a higher level of effort and. Uh, they still have faith in the team and the plan that they put together and the coaching staff. Um, that was as bizarre a thing as you would ever expect to see after a basketball game, the GM and the president coming out and basically giving the coach a vote of confidence. I was 78% sure that when they opened their mouth, it was going to be to say that David Fisdale had been fired. Of course, that did not happen. Um, I'm going to read Mike Vorkanoff's uh, tweet. He said it pretty good. I cannot remember anything like this. Knicks are very media-averse with the front office. They didn't hold a press conference after all their summer signings. Mills and Perry came out after the 10th game of the season to express disappointment and say things must improve. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say, well, I should add, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, um, Steph Bondi of the Daily News reported after halftime ended, um, I guess late in the third quarter, that Mills, Perry, and Dolan still had not returned to their usual seats and then Dolan, I believe, uh, at some point, late, in, very late in the third or early in the fourth, got back to his seat. Perry and Mills did not. I could only imagine what was discussed during their conversation um, during that time. If I had to guess, it is that Dolan, I don't know, who knows? Maybe Dolan wanted them to fire Fisdale on the spot. Maybe they convinced him to let him get some more time with the group and he said okay but only under the condition that you guys go out there and you you know 
handle the press, say something, put some lipstick on this pig. Who the hell knows? Whatever it is, it wouldn't shock me. Um, that's for sure, because very little with this team shocks me uh, after the last, yeah, whatever, 20 years it's been since things have kind of gone off the rails. This, as far as off the rails moments go, this was this was up there. Perry and Mills coming out after this game. This was pretty high up. Um, I'm still kind of I'm still kind of bewildered because how do you even begin to react to what we just saw? And uh, yeah, I don't really have an answer for you, other than to say that I am gathering James Dolan is not happy. And when James Dolan is not happy, um, shit usually happens. And I'll be curious to see how long, um, how much longer the rope is, how much longer the leash is, if you want. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's like, it's so funny because I was saying literally as they came out that this, some of this has to fall on them because they're the ones who put together this group of veterans to come in and theoretically lead this team. So something, something's falling short here. And I, here's what I don't get. I don't get the sense that the two of them coming out and addressing the media after this game is going to be the magical elixir that is going to fix things. And I don't know what that elixir is. I don't know that there is an elixir out there. It's, you know, it's just, it is, at this point, it is almost, you know, many people have said, and this is something I talked about all summer long, in terms of whether you believed in this team long-term or not. And it really comes down to whether you believe there is just systemic, you know, the only way that I could put it is is rot in the walls, like something corrosive, something, you know, whatever, whatever disgusting adjective you want to use. Um, you either believe that that's there or not. And... I have never believed that it is because I just, it's just, it just seems to not make sense when right across, I don't know, I don't know how their offices work, but right across the, the, the hallway, I guess, you have the Rangers operation, which has been running successfully, more or less, for 15 years. And it's under the same owner, and it's in the same building, and it's in the same town with the same media. Um, and granted, it is, it is... Not the brights aren't the lights aren't nearly as bright, but they're still there. Uh, oh, look at this! Now we got David Fisdale coming to the podium. All right, let's take another let's take another quick break. Okay, we're back. David Fisdale just got done talking. This this night, the roller coaster ride of this evening just keeps going up and down, friends. Uh, such is life. When you are a New York Knicks fan, so um, David Fisdale obviously came out and uh, had a tone um, coupled with some strong words uh, that uh, is unlike that which we have seen from him, at least since he has been on the job here. He put this on himself uh, several times, um, claimed that the work was being put in. Uh, was very frank about not knowing why they uh, continue to come out with these subpar efforts at home. 
like I said, took full accountability several times and uh, also mentioned several times uh, that whatever built-in excuses might be available to him, he did, he was not taking those. Um, acknowledged guys were losing heart at times and also said the world is not falling. They're only two games out of the eighth seed, which is um, just about the furthest thing from anybody's mind right now. But I guess it's good that he's thinking that. I have no idea. Um, I mean, look, the, the, the conversation around NBA circles tomorrow and until probably they play their next game and, you know, maybe for the foreseeable little future is going to be pretty simple. Uh, the Knicks had an offseason in which they convinced themselves and convinced some fans that they were going to be good. Everybody else around them knew that they were not going to be good and now they themselves are coming to the realization that they are not good. And isn't that funny that it took them this long to realize it when we all knew it months ago? Um, you know, ha ha ha. You know, and, and look, there's, I don't know how you say completely that some of that stuff isn't justified. Um, but at the same time, I just, I it yeah, it really does always come back to the to the question of like how how much faith can you have or not have in people who do this stuff for a living and i guess it's i it surprises me that it's so easy for for some people to and this isn't this is apropos of nothing, but I, I just I find it interesting that it's very easy for some people to say, of course, it's possible for people that run a basketball team and coach a basketball team to not know what the hell they're doing. Um, who are they? Why should they be, you know, given any benefit of the doubt? And I, for some reason, I'm never able to do that. I don't know why I'm not able to do that, because it seems very easy for most people to do. And I, <laughs> you know, that's why after this summer happened, and even to a certain extent still now, despite the fact that they came out with this effort tonight and have had these terrible efforts, I still think there is there is more to this than meets the eye, and, you know, it's like something's not adding up. But, it, God, it really does make it hard to defend this team when they, when they do stuff like this. It really does. And it's a, it's a night that, with all of this with all of this craziness with Mills and Perry and with Fizz taking on this tone and with the complete lack of effort, um there are just a lot more well, you could take one of two views. You could take the view of there are a lot more questions than answers, uh, in terms of where the where the what's not adding up and where the buck falls and all that stuff, or you could take the other view, which is it's incredibly simple. Uh, this team is not good. It's not conceived of well. The coach is not the right person to guide the team. And uh, it's not a surprise at all. And there really isn't anything to ask. There really isn't anything to wonder. There really isn't anything to be confused about. It's just a bad team. And I have a feeling that in a month from now, will probably have a better idea of which of those two things it is. Uh, but for right now, I fall into the 
confused category because I still think that there's a world that exists where this works not in a way that, you know, produces like really good cohesive basketball, but in a way that doesn't produce embarrassing basketball, which is obviously what happened against the Cavs tonight. Um, and there may very well be egg on my face, um, like I said, a month from now if this continues and, you know, whatever transpires as a result of it. But uh, this is uh, this was not a banner night for the Knicks franchise in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they will be talked about um, a lot over the next couple of days. And, um, yeah, that's really where we're at. And on that note, let's get to the conversation that I had with JB earlier today, which is going to be very interesting. Um, it's funny how, how, um, well, I'll just let you guys listen to it. Um, but before we get there, of course, we must hear from our friends at Vivid Seats. So, um, if you are still desirous to go to Madison Square Garden to watch basketball games being played by the Knicks, you can get those tickets at Vivid Seats. Uh, it is your top source for tickets, and it's great because they have the Vivid Seats app, which um, when you get the app, either on App Store or Google Play or whatever, you're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, which allows you to earn credit back. Every purchase is 100% buyer guarantee. Get any tickets you want, theater, sports, you name it. And uh, for a limited time only, when it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. You can get tickets for this Thursday, and it's at home, and it's the Knicks at home, so who the hell knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Do you know? If you know, tell me, because I don't know. All right. Um, that's all for me after this very, very strange evening. Let's get to my conversation with Jamie. Well, we both, we both have busy days ahead, so let you... Oh, yeah, we might as well get rocking and rolling. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to do an intro. We can just start talking, like usual. Um, I'll probably... I'm actually... I'll I'll leave this in the podcast. I don't even care. I'm probably gonna do a a post game, uh, a, a mini post game after the game tonight. The the Cavs game. Um, we're we're recording this. We should say on a Sunday morning. I'm wondering, gut gut feeling right now. Do you think it's gonna be a happy post game? Having been a fan of this team for 30 years, what does your what does your gut tell you? They're gonna follow up that Mavs win with what kind of effort? Well, first of all, I don't like the number of years that we can now say we've been fans. Because I always think about that. About Well, you were you a know, fan I, before me. Because I, I, I didn't start rooting for the team until I started watching with my dad and stepdad simultaneously in 93-94. You, there's a picture of you from when you were a really little kid. Yeah, no, that's true. But that's the thing is I don't know, like, what years do I count, right? Like, in my head, I kind of want to say, yeah, I was a fan of the team. Like, you know, a lot of people, you're born and you're a fan. But, like... When do you actually know what's going on? I feel like that was more when I was 
Yeah, like seven, right? Like second, third grade. You well, let's you start to... a couple, couple quiz questions. Then, do you remember in any way, shape, or form Mark Jackson as a Nick? I don't know if I actually do. Like, you see, like because I don't. I didn't things, like watch. But the I team don't think then. I actually do remember him as like to me. My early remember. I don't think I was much earlier than you. I think, like I said, I was a fan of them technically in like first grade. But I feel like where I knew what was going on, it was those like 92, uh, you know, around there, like 92, 93 teams where I was like, okay, I can like distinctively remember watching certain games then. Yeah, no, my, I, I probably watched some games in 92, 93, but the, the memories that I have start in 93, 94, like very, very, very distinctly because... I just I don't know that season will always will always stand out. All right, so <laughs> but to your original question, so what twenty six you know, years twenty yeah, yeah yeah I guess that that puts us there. But the original question, it's not even we don't need to go back that far. I mean, I tweeted this yesterday. It to me it kind of centers around who I'm sure we're going to talk plenty about here. Our boy Frank Nilakina, in that how many times this is my big thing it's like how many times have we seen him have a game like he just had and i guess you could say not a lot that was well, maybe his best game i'm going to push back on this but finish but then the next game after all that hype and excitement it literally becomes the most like blase one for four shooting and then we're right back to like you know is fizdale going to keep him in the rotation and all this stuff that that's that's really what my worry is about tonight so uh, here's my pushback. One, I don't think we've ever seen him have a game quite like the one at Dallas. I in in terms of just um like I almost want to use the word immersed. He was completely immersed in the game and there was I felt like there were moments where you were you were watching and you were almost like for the first time, I was almost like depending on him to make a shot at some point in the fourth quarter, which, again, we're talking about someone who, by a metric that I use based on like minutes and usage, was the worst shooter in the league last year. And yet, that's how I felt. And I don't I don't know, even when he had, and the, the stretch that I think a lot of, that stands out for a lot of people, I know it stands out for me, is that it's literally two and a half games in last December, where it was Brooklyn, then Charlotte, and then... Cleveland, the Cleveland game being the one that he famously, um, or excuse me, the Charlotte game being the one he famously fouled out of, that Fisdale was like agitated, and then the Cleveland game where they lost, but he played 23 minutes and had 16 points and was like really good, and then it started to fall apart the very next game in Charlotte, but like, I feel like if we look at how he's been this season, I would, I actually would kind of put the last three games that he's had the Dallas game and then the two games before it on par with those, or even like the last four, I know the Sacramento game, he only finished with two points and played only 15 minutes, but like the game before that, he played 38 minutes and had 10 points on nine shots, like 11 points against Detroit. There was 14 points, obviously versus Dallas and like obviously all the defensive stuff. He's had seven blocks in the last four games. He's had uh, 10, nine steals. Like, I think he. I think maybe we're here. I think we're. I don't know where here is, but I think maybe we're here. Yeah. No, we can hope so. I mean, even his personal fouls. Funny enough, I was thinking that's a sort of a strange stat with him that you could look at and it say is. if he's getting like three fouls in the game, that's a good thing because a it means 
you know, he's playing enough minutes to actually get those fouls. But the other, and like we saw a lot last night, is, you know, that's his aggressiveness coming out where, you know, I even put together a video of him rebounding because I couldn't believe how often he was not just like, you know, like a guard sometimes, you're just going to grab a long rebound, whatever. Like, you know, actually like going to get the ball. And like there's one where Porzingis, uh, you know, drove into the paint and missed. And Frank was from the other side of him. And he had to like run around him, use like the right side of his body to like, you know, again, Porzingis seven th- foot three. And he's like pushing him out of the way to get the ball. It's stuff. Those are the things that I think um, beyond just, you know, the points and, and, and the minutes. Um, it, it's funny enough, the personal fouls I look at, cause it's like, okay, that means he's playing physical. And that I think is the, the way we want him to be. He's, I think he's playing exactly. I mean, not to say he can't get better, but I think he's playing exactly the, the style of basketball, um, on both ends, obviously, um, that is going to be a, you know, a marker for success for him for career, for his career, if he has a successful career, <laughs> of course, because this is the Knicks, everything always has to come back to a referendum on the organization. So we look at Frank's game and the last several games, and is it a good thing? Because it's like, oh, a young player that the Knicks have who's 21 years old is finally coming into his own um, and could help them you know, win games this year and theoretically for years into the future or is it yet another black mark on the organization that they've had this kid for i mean we're talking about someone who other than 18 meaningless seconds in um the game against boston did not get off the bench for all but three kind of emergency like other guys were in foul trouble minutes in the season opener he essentially did not play for the first three games and it's like you know, it's the guy didn't grow that much in a week and a half, you know, and it's like and obviously you could look to last year and, and even the year before that, even though it was a different coach. And it's like if you want this to be a referendum on how crappy the organization is at identifying talent and fostering talent that actually impacts games in a meaningful winning way. And we could talk about like, you know, how maybe some of the guys they signed this summer are not have not been doing that as much. Um <laughs> Where are you more on the positive scale or on the like, does the where are you at with all this? Well, I guess it's kind of funny because that win against Dallas, I guess, gives the organization kind of a, a weekend reprieve from the conversation that I think was really reaching a boiling point amongst a lot of fans of answering that question of, you know, do do we have the right people in place uh, to develop these young players, both from a coaching standpoint all the way up to the top? And I think, like you said, with Frank, it's gone um, two different coaches, right? So you can't just put this all on Fizdale. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess that's probably my biggest concern right now is that as much as I like, you know, Fizdale, I have no, you know, it's hard not to like him as like a, personable coach but you know if you're making just a basketball decisions and you're looking at the team that they have you I don't know you, you'd have to wonder a little bit is he necessarily the right guy for this group is he better fit for the reason they brought him originally brought him in, in what was opinion. the analogy you used um it was a couple of days He's, ago um, yeah well I, 
Right. They it was brought, perfect. I was saying it's about the, about free agency. So I said, you know, he based essentially was a closer. That's right. That they <laughs> never had a ninth inning lead to use, and I think that's right. I mean that that was why they got him, and I think Fizdale on a team of veterans who already sort of you know know what they're doing, and now they're just out there to um, you know to go and, and compete and get to the playoffs. I think that type of team is better for him than one that is young guys that you might want to um, you know, start to build a system around and have more structure than you would with like an older veteran team. And to really, I don't know if this is taking the analogy too far, but like how often do we see in baseball when a closer comes in in a situation that they're not accustomed to, either up, you know, four runs, um, like the manager just wants to like make sure, like nail it home, or, you know, down several runs to like just get the guy some work. And the closer can't can't do what he's normally accustomed to doing because it's just like out of sorts, and um, you know it's funny. It was a it was a little it was a little comment in the post game of the Dallas game, and um, I don't even think any of the writers yesterday put it in their stories. Um, but I definitely took note of it when they asked him about KP, and he he said some nice things, and then. He 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 was just he smiled. He's like, yeah, he he's the guy I thought that I was going to be coaching here. Um, right. And you you know you got to remember when he signed on, it was like, I don't know what bill of goods they sold him as far as like what they knew who they were going to be. I mean, I guess that was back in April, so they those Durant rumors really hadn't started in full force yet. But putting even that aside, he thought he was going to be getting like this guy. Um, and yeah, um, obviously it did not. Um, I don't know. I st- I I'm still a, a somewhat of a believer, uh, not as much as I was, because they he does seem to get through to players. Um, but again, how much value does that have in and of itself without some of the other components? Um, yeah, I right. Know. I mean, this is a per- perfect example of if you are actually doing a slower rebuild now with these young players. I mean, this is your chance where you you know you can kind of mold. Uh, your own system and have them learn the habits that young players need to learn in learning that system. And I think like the, probably the biggest complaint with Fisdale is, well, what exactly is that system, right? Like on offense um, and even on defense, you know, I think you've been talking about this recently about switching everything. Yeah. I mean, even there, there hasn't always been consistency in approach. And I know some of it has been, they've just been so bad defensively that just, fundamental things you know bumping the the roller uh, you know from the corner and just like little things they would have to work on let alone doing anything more complicated but that said it just you know I think that's what people are looking for is to see some idea of direction like okay we get the players are raw you know they're not gonna Mitch might not always finish all of his screens but at least we see the types of plays and the type of action that Will, would eventually, when these guys learn those little details, be you know a functioning system, and I that to me is the part I just don't I just don't see. I I want to put the offensive system to the side for a second because I think I really do truly think that they not devise the system because that's not the right word. They they were banking on by this point in this regime, whatever you want to call it, um, having um, a, a, a playmaker, a, a playmaking guard, wing, whatever, someone who could handle the ball 
um, be able to like start the domino effect and have the offense roll from there. And I think when it was apparent that they weren't getting that guy this summer, they they pivoted to Randall and tried and and contemplated this offense that revolved around Julius Randall basically being um, a homeless man's version of LeBron James slash poor man's version of Blake Griffin. <laughs> and I, and obviously, well, through nine games at least, that has not worked. Eight games, nine games, nine games, that has not worked. Um, and Dennis Smith Jr. being the other part that they were like maybe not counting on, but like hoping for. And obviously, we don't have to talk about him right now. What I'm, I'm more interested in the other part of it, which is like doing the little things, and that goes for both ends. And I feel like they ha- they tried to have their cake and eat it too, with like, so like you bring in a guy like Taj Gibson. Um, and I think a couple of the other free agents they signed can probably fall into the, that category. Um, and, like Marcus Morris, I think is you could put into this category of guys guys who will do all of those little things. Um, and I, I think they just kind of hoped that that stuff would rub off, maybe. On, but then, so that hasn't happened yet. So there's the conversation about, well, does that just take more time? And then there's the separate conversation of, well the longer time goes by and that doesn't happen or, or has too much time already gone by. Should a training camp be enough to have those things happen? And if it doesn't happen, who is that on? Is it not, is it on the coaching staff um, for not, I don't know, emphasizing that instituting stuff to, to, to reemphasize that? I don't know. Or is it on the front office who thought that they could just put all of these ingredients in the pot and um, you know, and it would come together. And again, maybe it does come together. It's been nine games. But yeah, I, yeah, those no. are the and, questions well, I'm I think asking. That's that's really maybe the biggest point that I think is interesting when I've kind of been seeing, um, you know, fans react. You know, whether should we be overreacting or are we overreacting because it's only nine games? And I guess my counter to that point is, I don't think you want to make decisions reacting to or you don't always want to make decisions reacting to what has happened. You want to consider what has happened in the past to inform your decision, obviously. But I think, you know, the key is you want this team to grow and build into a contender. And the question is who is the best coach or the best front office person or the best players to do that. And I think if you just wait it out, you might wait it out with the wrong guys, I guess is what I'm saying. So I don't, I think whether the Knicks were seven and two right now or two and seven, and this is by the way your your Glenn, question. this is your Glenn Sather point, right? Like Dolan waited it out with Sather with the Rangers, and that worked out, I would say, pretty well. Um, and, and you you drew the comparison, I think, a few times on Twitter between Sather and um, and Steve Mills. Right. Yeah. So you ended out those first few years, and then Sather ended out actually coming down and even coaching, I think, one or two years there, and things. I think he started in 2000, around 2004, you would have said, okay, this, this isn't going to work. And then little did you know that was going to, you know, they would eventually go on this great run where they made the playoffs 11 out of 12 years or whatever it was that, yeah, that's, that's the question is it's not, oh, everyone calm down. It's too early. It's only nine games. It's, you should always be evaluating who is the best person to lead us for the next 70 games and obviously you use some of what's happened to inform that, but I think you can take a broader view. I think you know enough about David Fisdale or you know enough about, um, you know, I guess I pause because I'm like, well, Dolan knows enough about Steve Mills. Probably nothing would change there. But you know enough about these guys 
beyond just these nine games. You know who they are as coaches, executives, and then even to the players. We know who they are already. We didn't need these nine games to tell us that. So therefore, make an assessment off that broad knowledge. Who cares what's happened in the nine games? But don't wait too long if you think you're wrong just because you think you need to give them more games to prove what you already know. Yeah, no, and that gets down to like, an organization having conviction in its in its decisions, um, which I, I I don't know. Based on what you're saying, I don't even know that we could have an intelligent conversation about this because I don't know what. What's the best way to say this? I was about I was going to say I don't know what percentage of the factors that that should go into these types of decisions are ones that simply can't be seen um, from the outside world. Um, and I, I I think it's higher than all of us like to think sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so if they... Because the, th- the thing that I always keep coming back to is in sports in general and and in basketball I, I think it certainly falls under this category continuity is is just so important and it's such an underrated thing and it's like you know you try to build your team a certain way and that involves a coach who has a certain style and a way of relating to players and again these are all things that like theoretically like let's just take Kevin Knox right you you draft a Kevin Knox um he has some talent he clearly has a lot of warts and one would think that he was drafted with the mindset of like, all right, we're going to give this guy to this coach who has this manner in dealing with these sorts of players. Um, and we're going to build, you know, this kind of system in our building to kind of foster that talent. And all of that stuff goes into it. So I guess, I guess that's, I keep coming back to that stuff when I'm thinking about like, okay, well, if you're not pulling the plug on Fizz just because, like, it can't just be like, okay, in column A is Fizz and column B is, you know, Mike Miller, for argument's sake, and we think Mike Miller will be a better coach than Fizz. It can't just be that. It has to be we've invested all of this time and energy and effort into building, a, like, a, a whole holistic picture. Theoretically, this is what I hope as a, as a fan. <laughs> right, maybe right. they didn't give it nearly this much foresight. Right. Well, that, I, well yeah. maybe what, what you're leading to, though, is the continuity that can exist even with change, right? So if you were to bring... Well, those are the best organizations. Have, right. Like, so if you did have someone like a Mike Miller, maybe he's not... Maybe they, you know, feel like he's not ready to be the, the top guy. And maybe, like we said, this is the stuff we don't know because we don't get to see every day. Yeah. For all we know, he his best role is exactly what he's doing now. Like that's that's his best role, not to be kind of the lead guy, which requires, you know, I think different things. It might take you away from doing the detailed things you can do, you know, if you're if you're in if you're not, you know, if you're an assistant or something. But I think to me, it just comes down to this simple. There's a million reasons why the Knicks record has been what it's been under Fizdale outside of his control. So I think if the Knicks were to move on from him, everyone would agree that that record, cannot, it does not just hang on Fizdale. Oh, no. But the question is simply, is he? you hired him to do one type of job, and now the team is requiring a different type of job. 
So do you just feel like the person you hired to do one type of job is still good to do the other type of job? And I think that that to me is an important distinction from saying this coach just needs to be fired because look at the record. They've been terrible. And then obviously you could counter that with, well, there's a lot of reasons they've been that way. Yeah. And as you're as you're saying this, I am um, Googling when. Mike Miller was brought up. So yeah, so Mike Miller joined the full-time coaching staff in August of this year. I wasn't sure exactly when it was, if it was before free agency or after. And immediately as you as you're saying this, um I wonder how much, you know, I wonder how much the decision to bring him up was specifically because of the fact that they didn't get the guys that obviously they thought that they were going to get in in free agency. And is this, you know, and then that's that's the last part of this that I, I want to touch on before we, we maybe change topics and finish up is, you know, there was a little snippet in, you know, <laughs> I, I'm critical of Mark Berman a lot, but he has these snippets in his pieces and there's usually one per piece that make you raise an eyebrow. And because he, I mean, look, say what you want about the guy. He, I, I, I would argue is, is as as connected as anybody. Um, and sometimes obviously his stuff is way off base, but, um, he, he had a thing about, um, that the after, uh, it was after Fisdale announced that, um, Nilakina would, so it was, there was the game that they had no point guards and he, and Fisdale said that Nilakina wasn't going to start. That was the Orlando game. Right. And then he, they scored 83 points and looked terrible. Fisdale came out and said, we're not going to start. We're still not going to start Nilakina. Um, and then, he, so Mark Berman's snippet was that after that initial announcement was made, Mills had an extended conversation with Nilakina at practice. Steve Mills, who's obviously, it's no secret he's been the biggest supporter of Nilakina in the organization, probably the reason Nilakina is still here. And this was reported at the time, but Berman put this spin on it. He's like, it was, it was suspicious then that Fisdale did a 180 and changed his mind, and then that just got me thinking like, well, you know, almost counter to what I said a minute ago, where we assume that there is this continuity, you know, for all are, are, for all we know, are there, are there fissures behind the scenes in terms of the different directions that like maybe Mills or Perry or Fizz want the team to go? Um, is it healthy disagreement? Like, is it like, uh, I, I don't, these are the things again that we we can't know, and at least, you know, they have me wondering, I guess, you know, for better or worse. Yeah, right. No, it's fair. And in any organization, right, you're going to – in fact, you kind of hope there is um, productive disagreement, you know, amongst decision makers. And I think, uh, you know, our friend Ian Begley is very good at trying to tease that out, being someone who does know more than us in he terms does. of what is thinking. And you'll notice that a lot in his reports where he'll say – there's some in the organization who believe X, Y, Z, you know, that doesn't mean that they will make this this decision. But, you know, we're just saying that we know there's some in the organization that believe this. You know, you're going to have scouts that are strongly in favor of one player versus another. You're obviously going to have different players, um, different execs tied to different players based on, you know, who drafted them or who was part of the team that drafted them. So, yeah, I think I think you could expect that's there. But I guess the question comes down to, you know, who 
I guess when you're saying with the continuity, it's it's sort of like, all right, that's fine if there's that productive disagreement, but it, are they reaching a point that they kind of are building off each other's decisions in the end, right? Like, so they might disagree on, you know, one piece yeah. here, but they're all going towards that common direction. And yeah. that's, I think, what we're not sure about. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's well said. And, uh, and I very much agree. Um, all right. I want to move on to one more quick thing before we get out of here. Um, but first, JB, um, congratulations, because you are, this is going to be the very first ad read on an episode of your, your own podcast that uh, you are going to be privy to. Are you ready for this one? I'm excited. Are you excited? I hope you're excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. So we're going to talk about our friends at MyBookie. Um, JB, have you placed any wagers recently? No, I haven't, but maybe this is the place to go. No, well, if you're going to place wagers, I, I do think my bookie is is the place to go. Um, so, um, the great folks at my bookie have on their website um, constantly updating NBA championship odds. Who do you think is the favorite right now to win it all? Clippers. Yes, they're at plus two sixty, followed closely by the Lakers at plus two ninety five, um, and maybe it maybe a tad surprising. Who do you think is is third right now? Third, um, Rockets still? No, they're actually they're fifth. They're plus seven fifty. We got the the Sixers at plus five forty, um, and of course, goes without saying that you could make your Knicks championship bet. Um, they are currently the longest long shot um, at plus seventy five thousand. So good money to spend on the Knicks to win it all this year. Uh, if you want to do it, uh, go to mybookie.ag, quarters, halves. If you want to bet hockey, periods on the ice, there's prop bets, points, yards, goals, anything you could possibly want. Um, and if you sign up at mybookie.ag, use promo code OVERTIME, um, and they, of course, are going to match your first deposit. New users get their first deposit doubled up to a $1,000. So if you put $1,000 in, you could get uh, $2,000 to play with. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Um, are you going to run out right now and, and bet that plus seventy five thousand for the Knicks to win it all this year? I mean, why not? We might as well hedge your bet somewhere here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm... think about it. That's that's the thing, though. If you just every year, right? You just pick that. You know, I've always said as a fan, you know, you just just pick that with some small amount, and maybe that one year some miracle happens, you can be uh, extra happy, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, on that note, maybe it's a good a good uh, transition point. So I, you sent out a tweet yesterday, and I have to ask you about it because it's one of those tweets that made me, like, I wonder what's going through JB's mind right now. So you tweeted out when you open up your Twitter app, what are you looking to do, make a point or connect with people? My time away from social media has taught me that it's up to us to make a difference. There's so much negativity on this app. Do your part. Pretend we are real people. I was just curious. Was this in response to something in particular, or was this just something you've been generally ruminating on for a while? Yeah, I guess it sounds like it would be something in particular, right? No, yeah, I think we talked about this, right, in the, in the last time we had the pod where – you know, I've been thinking a lot about social media, just in kind of society in general and how it is. And I think what it is, is coming back to the KFS account and tweeting more often. And then, you know, maybe you fall into like your normal habits, like we all do. And I think it was just me 
thinking to myself, like, all right, like, you know, I, I realize this point that I think that we could uh, do things kind of different collectively in society about how we discuss things on social media. But now, you know, am I really doing anything different? And it feels like, you know, it's this intangible thing, like, how, how do you reach that, uh, that balance where you still want to participate in the conversation, you want to have healthy debate, but you don't want it to be negative. So I guess I was just thinking of all those things. Um, and you know what I've realized is I've realized the quote tweet is the, actually the most dangerous thing, which I know a lot of people have realized this a long, long time ago, but it is true, right? Because it's a, a lot of times, you know, there are plenty of times where it's like, okay, you're promoting someone's story or, you know, you want to say someone did something good on something. Okay, that's fine. But there's just so many times you see someone tweet something. And we saw that recently. I think a um, uh, friend of the pod, right? Howard Beck uh, put out something. <laughs> I, I don't know if if uh, after the best year that he's had. I mean, listen, he's. I, I was. It's funny. I'm actually going to get to that. I'm going to get to Howard in a second. But we we may lose a lot of listeners if we call him a friend of the pod. Anyway, yeah, yeah. keep going. Just he actually came on early, right? But yeah. um, but no, like that's a perfect example, right? So I'll see him tweet, and I don't even remember now exactly. Oh, something along the lines of like, oh, you know, it's sad if Knicks fans are going to use the win against Dallas to like validate the trade or something like that. Um, and it's just so easy to, to, you know, like I said, like quote tweet that with something snarky back and everyone's going to love it. That follows us because they're generally going to be Knicks fans and they're tired of Howard Beck kind of always kicking the Knicks when they're down. And I think it's, it's stuff like that where I'm like, all right, yes, we could do that. And yes, maybe it sort of puts a little bit of, um, you know, it holds, you know, someone accountable a little bit to just tweet something ridiculous. But the other side's like, well, what, what do we gain then? It's just getting a lot of people kind of more in, inflamed about the topic. And I think it's, it's all that kind of coming together that I was thinking when, when I tweeted that uh, yesterday. So the, you really can't write this stuff because, A, I was going to get to that. To hit, to that tweet in in a, in a and I'm going to get to it right now. We did not discuss. Did we talk about what we were going to talk about on today's pod at all before we got on? No, absolutely no, not. No. Not one bit. And I actually, um, from me in full disclosure, I started drafting a quote tweet of that tweet that Howard sent out, and I had it, and I was ready to hit send. It was last night, and I'm like, you know what? This isn't this isn't productive. And I'm not going to do it. And it's literally it's sitting in my drafts right now. Um, I'm not going to tweet it. Out. And it wasn't snarky. It was actually, I mean, I guess I could, I could, I guess I could read it because it's not, it's not snarky. Um, it was. Here's what I was going to write. Reminder: Advice to Nick fans everywhere. Some in the media will always hold a grudge with Dolan, as they probably should, but don't let their commentary diminish or alter how you go about being a fan. That's the best part of fandom, after all. No one can tell us how to do it. That was going to be the tweet. Yeah, um, right. That's... Which, whatever. It's not that bad. But Right, right. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, do I really need to send this? Which, and, and I guess this will be a transition to kind of like the last thing that I want to talk about, which is, I, I th it's related to what you're saying, because... How much, specifically with the Knicks, right? Um, and I guess maybe not specifically with the Knicks, but specifically with, like, sports and fandom. Um, how, like, I think 
a lot of that less than productive quote tweeting that goes on is specifically quote tweeting of media people who fans think are maybe a little bit out to get them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I, I think so. Because you know, with um, I think also because there's the line of obviously a reporter they're doing a job, but I think fans still feel like so th- they're they're kind of closer to us in terms of being on how we're viewing the game. Like it's not like a player and a coach who, like we were talking about at the beginning, have a different perspective because they're inside. Yeah, these reporters have a different perspective because they talk to different people around the team. But they're they're almost able to analyze it in many ways the same way as a fan could, and I think that's why fans are a little more like, you know, want to make their opinion counter to the reporter's opinion. So you just said something that I think is fascinating, and you probably didn't even realize you said it, which is that they're reporters; they have a job to do. And I spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, I spent a little bit of time last night thinking about that because I'm a crazy person, and this is these things consume my mind all the time, which is that. What is the what is the job of the press? The job of the, of the press is to raise the veil of ignorance, right, on the populace, even when the populace may not want to have that veil of ignorance raised, right? That's that's their job. That's like so. I think sometimes when we have, and I'm, I don't want to pin this on Beck, but name any name any reporter who's ever said anything upsetting to Knicks fans or any sports fan. I think. I think reporters or media people sometimes think that they are doing that job because it's like, how can these people, you know, continue to root so vigorously for this team that is so clearly can't get out of its own way and like they deserve better than that. They should have like, I have to lift the wool from their eyes. And then I'm like, but wait a minute, this isn't, like we're not talking about the Pentagon Papers here, right? Where you're literally like, you know, it's like a voting body, and it like you're you're trying to educate people so that they can, you know, knowingly make the right decisions for like the direction of the country moving forward, right? This is it's sports, and it's fandom, and I guess. I, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. It's like, is the, is it a different? Do we need to have a different conversation about this stuff? Because like, it doesn't matter what. Like Howard Beck could come out tomorrow, or, or you know, Ian, even if it's someone that I we like, Ian Bagley, or or you know, Bondi, or or Chris Winfield, or whoever. Literally, it doesn't matter. And say just the worst thing in the world about something the Knicks have done, or like the most incompetent thing, and it could be a fact, right? I. I'm, that fandom runs so deep in my blood. I can't not be a Nick fan, right? So it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna change. I guess we're this is a very long winded way of saying, like this isn't commenting on politics where it's like we know what the Knicks have have done and we know what the Knicks have done wrong. It's still our choice to continue rooting for this team. And I think as a fan base, generally, we just want the freedom to root for them without having to feel bad about ourselves. And I, <laughs> the other part of it that I that I couldn't help but think of is you, over the last several days, were as harsh a critic on this Knicks regime as anyone on Twitter in some of the things that you were pointing out about Mills and, and this regime and Fizz and all that. So it's like... 
do we really need, you know, the extra, um, to, uh, uh, which again, I, I, I don't, I, ju- I just don't know if it's necessary. So I, I, this is all kind of muddled and I'm, I'm sorry if it's not making a coherent point, but I just, I wanted to raise all that. And I was really curious to, to hear what your thoughts on it, on it were, if any. Yeah, well, I think people have asked me, they said, geez, you've been been a little more harsh lately. Is there a reason? And I think it, it just is that maybe, you know, maybe a little bit in the past, you know, again, to in general, I'm just a positive person, right? Like I'm the type where whatever's going on in life, like I do not like to dwell on the bad things. I'm always just thinking like, you know, all right, you know, what what can we do next, right? That's just how I am in general. And I think people have seen on the KFS account that come through, you know, as an overall theme, right? Like I try to make it more positive. I try to see kind of the glass half full, et cetera. But I think there are, you know, that doesn't mean you can just continue to ignore what I think are fair critiques to make so that, you know, therefore, right, like what are we really talking about in this whole theme of what you brought up? We're talking about credibility, right? We're saying if you follow someone, whether you're following them for their opinion or you're following them for their coverage of the team, you want them to be kind of, quote, credible. And being credible means, you know, when things are not good, you call them not good. When things are are um, the opposite, then then you note that. And I think the concern fans sometimes have is they they think only the bad is pointed out. But I guess to your to the other point that you're getting to, it's I guess I look at it this way, and then we can really tie. And it is funny we didn't plan this out, but we can really tie all the news items of the week in, in here. So we know that MSG Sports is going to be spun off. So the Knicks and the Rangers they're going to be spun off into a separate company from MSG Entertainment. Yes. So you actually can make a strong argument, particular for the Knicks now, that maybe doesn't exist as much for other teams, even though I could relate it using this the same idea, is that, well, yeah, it's sports, it's not the Pentagon Papers, but it is soon to be, well, it's already part of a publicly, tra- publicly traded company, but now even more so apparent in that it will be separated out from the rest of the businesses. So... You know, what is the job of the press? I mean, maybe, yeah, the job of the press is to say, okay, whether you're a fan and your stock or your shareholder ownership, so to speak, is in the time and money you invest (laughs) through, like, tickets. And blood, sweat, and tears or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or you are an actual person that is looking to invest in the company. I think you are hoping that, there are people who are able to talk directly to the powers of be that company to ask the type of questions or to point the type of things out that would cause them to want to improve the performance because that's what it comes down to. I mean, the fact is, if everyone just sits around and says, kumbaya, like everything that this front office, forget Dolan, has done is great and we're all happy because we're Knicks fans, we're going to be happy no matter what. How do we expect then there to be kind of any pressure or any thought on the, uh, to say maybe it hasn't been all great and that's why the results haven't been good and there do need to be things different, which then helps the fans. So I guess I think while it's frustrating because we see it get carried to like the nth degree at times on the negative side, I think what we sometimes lose sight of is if, if we really want the team to perform well, 
I think it's fair to hold the team accountable to certain things and to make them have to, you know, answer to some of the plans that they've put in place that, that haven't worked. Otherwise, if all the coverage was great and everyone was just filling the arena every night, maybe the powers that be just think, oh, geez, you know, like, yeah, yeah everyone's on board with what we're doing. So I, I guess that's kind of how I look at no, it. And that's a great point. And that's why, again, like it like, the you know, <laughs> I guess maybe the thing that drew my attention to it is it, it almost seems there's negative coverage in the sense that like. You know, like Lupica's tweet yesterday, right? Was like, you know, Kristaps Porzingis put up whatever it was, whatever his stat line was from. from yeah, when's the last time a Nick did it or whatever he said? Yeah, when's the yeah. last time like a Nick big big man um, did that? That's you know, that's pointing out a fact. Um, and and I'm I'm probably gonna write a little bit of something um, on KP and and why I like anyone. Anyone who wants to point like, – like, media people should point out how freaking good this guy is um, and because he's he is the best. I mean, look, he's the most talented player the Knicks have had since, since Patrick Ewing, and that's not – well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into a whole mellow debate. Whatever. The guy's insanely good, and he's going to be insanely good as long as, as long as he stays healthy with the Mavericks. And, like, yes, there, there needs to be – attention brought to the fact that like the Knicks traded him away for for cap space um and I know the the picks and the whatever Dennis Jr. no they they traded him away for cap space let's let's all agree on that like that's all fair but when you know when he ends that tweet with the Knicks sure showed him last night and when obviously Howard back with um like commenting on what fans can slash should be happy about that to me is it it kind of crosses a line because again i my my opinion is that your job as a media person is to bring attention to the facts and to shed a light on them in a way that is necessary to open people's eyes and i that's fine even if it's incredibly frustrating but to go the last step and be like, you, it's not like, even after everything, you are still supporting this team and you're still like rooting and you're still like going to try to gloss over this move. Well, ha ha, aren't you an idiot? That's, which is essentially, I think how a lot of people took the, the tweets and how a lot of tweets make Nick fans feel, even if they're more just implied. I think that's maybe where we're crossing a line and, getting me to ask questions about like where like is there a slippery slope here in terms of the role of the media with this stuff and I don't know that there's answers to these questions I just I guess wanted to bring them up as things that um I was thinking about that's all yeah well last point I'll make to to really throw us off off the bus before we leave oh I love this um, I love when you throw us off the bus is if you took the same logic you just had and I know you know being in New York, uh, you know, a lot of uh, more liberal people in the city. So I'm, I'm going to go with this because I, I know a lot of Knicks fans I know are this way. If I said to them, apply that same logic to how things are covered in the current political landscape with the person in power in the White House and say, despite all the things that have happened, 
we're now entering another election cycle where people are still going to support him. How do you feel about that? Do you think that there's, you know, there's some responsibility to hold someone accountable that's maybe not happening by a group of people? Do Does it tell us something about different um, morals that we have? And I think people will look at it a little bit different. Now, again, we're comparing politics to sports, but I guess what I'm saying is I think that's where it, it somewhat kind of comes to the relation is it's just saying I'm a reporter, I'm presenting facts, and yet there seems to be this consti- uh, large constituency who, despite all those things, don't want to hold them accountable the same way, and I find that odd as a reporter. I think that's really the way they're covering it because that's how, if you were covering just a news story and you said, oh, you know, I was in this town and they polluted the water and yet all the people are still voting for the same people in charge who did that, like – You'd say this is this is odd. Or I went to a, a toy store that was selling like defective toys that, you know, break for little kids and they might swallow it. But they're still in business and people still buy it. You know, I'm coming up with bad examples. But the point is, no, you're, if I, you looked at another news story, I think you would find it. I think you would say, yeah, like there's this problem. And for some reason, there's this large group that still supports that company or that political group. You know, I I, I think it's that. And when you look at it that way, I think it becomes less like, oh, they're just picking on us. And it becomes less personal and it becomes more maybe, okay, now now I sort of at least see, well, maybe, again, same way, right? Like the whole like deplorables and all these things. I think th- that's the problem with the political climate now is that we look at these people who disagree with us and then we want to knock them down. So the same lesson applies. You can you do it a different way. You don't have to be snarky and you don't have to suggest you're smarter than other people or they're less than you because they believe different. But I think it's still, that's the part we got to clean up on both sides. But I still think it is an interesting part of the story of not just what is the company, the team or the um, political group doing holding that accountable, but like who are the people that continue to kind of support these and what is making them continue to support it? And, and I think that's an interesting question. And that, and that I, 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 I love that thought because put, putting aside the sports versus politics issue and the fact that one thing is meant purely for enjoyment, it is, it is literally a, it is a pastime with no consequence for, you know, fans like personal like lives in terms of health. Well, I, I may have a heart attack. I was going to say, these, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, I may have a heart attack one of these nights. But, you know, whether the Knicks yeah, win, no, you, you know, you, you get the point. And, and the other is the fate of the country. Even putting that aside, if the goal, if the goal of the, and this is why these things don't work in politics, like the commentary doesn't work in politics, just like it doesn't work in in this way in sports. Because if the goal is to is to get people to see things differently, the, the the way to accomplish that is to not leave the people who you want to change their opinions feeling like you're insulting them because we've yeah just, no exactly we've just right gone, and I think yeah we've gone through three years of this with the Trump and all that stuff and all of the people who voted for, I, I maybe not all of them but my guess is a lot of the people who voted for him in the last election are going to be that much more emboldened <laughs> to vote for him again. Just like, you know, it, it almost makes me feel like me here as a Nick fan, if I was tempted to be like, you know what, I'm going to go root for the Nets next week. <laughs> After I yeah. see something like that, I'm going to double down and be like, you know what, screw you. 
I'm going to stick with with my team, you know. So, but that right, but that's what's funny because that to me is what ties it all together, right? Yeah. What it's saying about yeah. the way we talk about things on social media, all these points, it it just comes down to that we think in all of our different ways we're like making our point with like an exclamation mark by throwing in like it's basically here's my fact or my point, and now here's my exclamation mark, and that exclamation mark is the part that ends out. Rather than like it's not adding to your point, it's usually just pushing people away yeah. or, you know, taking away from your point. Right. So so I think on which you know, gets to uh, why are you making the point? What is your point in making the point? And that's a question that we don't ask ourselves um, nearly enough as a society. But we're we're really getting <laughs> getting off, <laughs> off the rust now. <laughs> well, it's Sunday morning, you know, <laughs> uh, no. And, and I, here's. The last last thing I'm going to say on this is is it makes me think you know obviously I'm an English teacher, um, instead of ending stuff with an exclamation point, I I find more and more in my writing um, that I end stuff with a question mark, and yep. isn't that maybe the way to go? Because I think doing that acknowledges the fact that none of us really have the answers. Um, we may think we do. And e- e- let me actually take even another step back. I may think I have the answers. Howard Beck may think he has the answers. You know, Mike Luca um, might think he has the answers. Steve Mills may think he has the Everybody. We all think we have the answers, maybe deep down inside. But by acknowledging the fact that maybe we don't, even if we don't <laughs> believe that in our hearts, it at least um, not only opens up the dialogue, but makes it such that a person who's on the other side of the aisle can look at this and say, well, this person seems to think this, but he's not sure. Maybe I should re-examine, you know, you know what I think as well. Yeah. No, I think well said. Definitely. All right. Well, how's <laughs> this for a Sunday morning basketball X's and O's conversation? There we go. <laughs> um, JB, um, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with me. Anything, uh, I was about to say, anything you want to plug or promote before you go? No, well, I guess, you know, at least we started this time on um, more of the basketball than the high-level stuff. But if people feel like they uh, didn't get enough, you can always go to the Knicks Film School uh, website or newsletter or Twitter page. And I think we got more than enough of the nuanced X's and O's stuff yes. up there that hopefully makes up for our uh, highbrow conversation <laughs> here. <laughs> highbrow. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yes, you put out some great videos. Spencer Perlman um, obviously put out some great videos. Um, I will – we're going to have a jam-packed newsletter for you um, Monday morning, which by the time you're listening to this, it will be Monday morning. I'll make sure to get all those videos in there as well or the links to those videos um, and then, uh, oh, last but not least, before we before we go, let's remind everybody this Thursday um, at Penn Six in Manhattan. It's on Thirty First Street, just Thirty First Street, um, between Sixth and Seventh Avenue. Um, bunch of Nick fans, content creators uh, are going to be getting together to watch um, the second edition of Dallas vs New York. Uh, things get started at seven. There's going to be drink specials, five dollar beers, six dollar wine. Some other giveaways, raffling off tickets, um, there's a 20-foot projection screen, everything you could possibly want. And most importantly, portion of all proceeds from that evening are going to be going towards our Thanksgiving drive, which um, we're, we're going to really ramp up pretty soon. Um, but uh, it's going to be helping feeding uh, needing families on um, Thanksgiving. So that's a very exciting thing. Yeah. 
JB? All right. Well, thank you. It, it was fun, and we'll, we'll be talking soon. Indeed we will. Peace out. Peace out.